Welcome back to the Money Under the Matches podcast. I'm Jake McAdam, and my co-host is Mitchell Jensen. So, Mitch, what's up for discussion today? Uh, today, we'll be talking about what's been going on in the market over like the last two or three weeks. Uh, it's definitely been a crazy time, especially on Wall Street, as stocks like uh, GameStop, AMC, uh, BlackBerry, and Nokia um, have absolutely skyrocketed, I guess. Uh, especially the la- last week. Um, so that's what we'll be talking about in today's podcast. Um, so we'll start off with talking about GameStop since it's kind of like the, I guess, leader of the pack, wouldn't you say, Jake? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a leader of the pack. And so GameStop, BlackBerry, Nokia, AMC, these stocks are considered meme stocks. Uh, you guys have definitely seen it on the internet. Um, like Wall Street bets, uh, making memes and stuff like that about GameStop. So what GameStop is, for those that don't understand it, is it's a brick and mortar video game store. Um, so here in Canada, our GameStop is EB Games. Um, so what you do is you can go in, buy consoles, uh, you can buy games as well as uh, trade in uh, games, like trade in your used games um, for in-store credit. And so... GameStop, as of lately, hasn't been doing that great of a business uh, in their business story, uh, just based on the fact that a lot of the video games uh, have moved to online now. Uh, you know, like the for the most part, I mean, when I used to play video games, I used to just buy them all on the Xbox or PSP store, I guess, PlayStation Network store. Um, compared to going into an EB games and getting the actual uh, hard copy of one. Um, So I guess that's kind of where GameStop is now. Um, The interesting thing about GameStop is that they were very shorted. Um, Do you want to talk about what shorting is, Jake? Yeah. So before I talk about what shorting is, um, they had, I think, I think it was like 140% short interest. Yeah. So you might ask, you know, like how can um, there be more than hundred percent of the share shorted? Well, it's, it's, um, it's the way it's a way shorting works. I'll explain how shorting works. Okay. So um, in order to short a stock, for example, let's say I wanted to short XYZ stock, right? And um, what I'd have to do is I'd have to go to my broker say, I want to short. So um, I'd have to have my broker loan me XYZ shares and let's say they're selling for 10 bucks right so I, I get those i get those shares like on or i get those xyz shares loaned to me i then go out and sell those shares on the market for ten dollars so now i have ten dollars in my pocket i then want the stock to go down so let's say it goes down to five i then buy back those shares for five dollars or share and I then return that share back to my broker with a bit of interest for the loan mm-hmm. and keep the rest. So I went from having the shares loaned to me from the broker, selling them on the open market for $10. So now I have $10 in my hand. I then bought it back for five because it went down. And then I, with, the, with that share I bought for $5, gave it back to the broker with a percentage depending on whatever the requirement was at the time. And then I, you know, kept the rest. So 
it's it's a very risky way, I think, to play the market. Wouldn't you agree, Mitch? Yeah, because there's only a hundred percent upside and a unlimited downside, hypothetically speaking. So, Jake, do you want to explain uh, to the listeners how exactly the shorts uh, in GameStop are losing right now? Yeah. So, you have the um, short sellers who want the stock to go down, and then you have um, Wall Street bets. Um, those those, uh, those investors they want the stock to go up, and they want to uh, squeeze the shorts. And when you short squeeze, it means that um, as the price goes up, in order to cover their positions, they have to um, sell out of their positions, but really have to buy back the stock, creating even more demand, making the price go even higher. And that's what you've seen. And that's what happened um, with uh, GameStop, right? So as more people got short squeezed, more demand was created for that stock as the short sellers um, closed their positions. And with that being said, eventually, eventually people don't like eventually the, the squeeze stops. It may not be today or it may, it may not even be a week from now, but eventually the short squeeze will end and then shares will just get, you know, killed. It'll, it'll drop like significantly down in price. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that uh, a lot of people right now that are inexperienced and, you know, have been watching the news and they're like, Oh, I want to, um, get in on this GameStop action, right? Are going to be in for rude awakening when they realize that, you know, GameStop's not going to go up forever. And I think today, as we're, we're speaking right now, it's down, I think, like 90 yes. points. So 77 right now, so it's 20 77 points on the stock, right? So Yeah, for sure. Um, so far, what we understand of GameStop is we have this old brick-and-mortar store that... I guess the big Wall Street hedge funds were shorting because they saw that it was um, not a great business. It was losing money. There was no real growth for it to go anywhere. Uh, so then it would just be paying. Um, there, there'd be more expenses than revenue, which equals a net loss. So this, this company has a net loss pretty well going into the ground, right? So it was very easy short play. Short play. Um, and then I guess Wall Street Bets, as well as uh, another guy within Wall Street Bets in a Reddit, uh, Deep Value. Um, they picked up on the fact that GameStop with 140% short interest. So there's more stocks shorted than there are even more shares uh, available to buy, um, which definitely isn't that good if you're a short. Um, so I guess Wall Street really thought this was an easy play. Let's just short. We'll make some money off it. And then Wall Street bets picked up on it, made a little meme out of it. And, uh, and that's all it really took was, was to try to drive the first little bit of people in there, buy it up. The shorts get squeezed out. Um, and I do believe that there are some shorts that are still in it right now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think. Today it I, says 120. I'm not sure how yeah, real that is. Or 120%. Not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I, I believe a lot of people are holding, you know, holding their ground on it. 
there's definitely been a lot of um, hedge funds that, that have definitely lost billions of dollars on this, uh, I guess, Wall Street bets fiasco. Um, so GameStop's been the leader of the pack. Uh, AMC, which is the American, um, I believe, cinema, isn't it? It's just the movie theater, AMC. Sorry? Is AMC just an American movie theater? I believe so, yes. Yeah, so AMC, an older movie theater, people on Wall Street said, must have thought that this was worth shorting. Uh, as of today, has about an 85 to 80% short ratio. Uh, I believe it was around there at that time uh, when it was uh, getting bit up quite a bit last week. Uh, so the same thing happened, same with BlackBerry um, and Nokia. iRobot. I think iRobot was, um, it was fairly shorted, right? Mm -hmm. And they had a pretty decent increase there last week. It shot up like double pretty quick. Yeah, like iRobot as well as uh, Sarah's Growth Properties that both me and Jake are in uh, had a very high short interest. And so that, I guess, helped us in our investment itself. But uh, we definitely weren't in those based on the fact that that the high short interest but um, the scary thing is, I think, for other investors out there, especially people who are just getting into investing, is that you see this and um, you, you think, oh, like, I want to get into this and I want to um, capitalize on this. But the, the ship has sailed, I believe. Like, I, I, know I, I know you can't really say that for sure, but I think the ship has sailed on GameStop and now there's going to be a lot of people who are going to get hurt if they decide to get into it now. I, I mean, I don't think it's going to stay at these levels um, for a long term. With GameStop, there's no real fundamentals at play here. Other than only the just, assets, I believe. I think it was just strictly an asset play back in March. And back in March, but that was back when it was at like $3 a share. Now that it's at, you know, $200 plus, it's there's there's no <laughs> there's no way you could value it at that there's there's no no matter what way you look at it or try to say that like it's it's undervalued there, there's no undervalue there like there's no actual business value that could justify that price no no it's just based on just uh, speculation and gambling pretty well um, yeah but just just and fear missing out right that's what it is, FOMO, just fear missing out. Fear uh, missing out, that's... But I, I think the best way to summarize this is, I mean, I for sure know I wasn't in GameStop or any of these meme stocks, and I believe you were not either, Jake, were you? No, I was, I was never in GameStop, no. No, and so um, the reason that we weren't in it I think we could have got we could have gotten in, you know, I follow Wall Street bets and stuff with that. I think me and you looked at it back at like five dollars or six dollars and we're like, yeah, we no got valued. We were thinking about um, getting into it when it was at three dollars and we seen that Michael Burry, the famous um, guy big from the, the big short. Um, we were thinking about getting into it when it was at like three dollars a share back in March or whatever there. But yeah, now it just be foolish, right? Yeah, I don't even, I mean, I definitely wouldn't have held it until whatever the high was, 480. 
um, I would have probably sold it at like, you know, five, six bucks, uh, just based on the fact that it's still different. Like Michael Burry was in it just based on the assets alone. And it was more of a, a bet than anything. Like he knew that it wasn't like a great business. Uh, no. I, believe. I don't think he thought it was, of GameStop as a, a good long-term compounder, as Monish would say. Um, he saw it as an asset play that he'd be able to flip with within over a couple quarters. So, yeah, you know, it's one of those things that before you invest in something, you really want to understand it and you really want to uh, make sure that it's valued correctly, I guess. Um, just based on the fact that, as you can see, GameStop right now is down 26%. And I guarantee you there's been people that were buying it up at around $300 uh, that might even just be listening yeah. to this, right? And and they bought it around three hundred dollars. Already lost sixty bucks on it. Um, and the way to, I guess, not risk your money on something like this is just do your due diligence, have your circle of competence, run a couple of valuation metrics, and you won't fall fall into this trap, I guess. I know it's I know it's hard for. Um most people because you see people around you that are making a lot of money from this and mm-hmm. you, you know, you have that feeling that, wow, I wish I could have got into it. But when, when there's something this crazy going on and um, you've seen, if you look back in history, you've seen other um, stocks go up crazy like this and then, you know, crash back down losing pretty well all of its its gains right over that period of time but i think that you just have to remember to stick to your 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 game plan like what what stocks you want to be in long term um or if you're an index investor just keep you know putting your money towards um, etfs and indexes but you it was hard like because we have a friend there that um he was in GameStop and he got in around, I think 80. Mm-hmm. And when it was up around 400, 350, 400 bucks, we were like, ah, oh, wow, that's, that's awesome. Right. And like, as much as you um, want to say, like, it doesn't phase you at all. Like you're like, oh, whatever. I don't care. It, a little bit like deep down, you know, a little bit of it, a little bit of you thinks like, oh man, wouldn't it be nice to get into GameStop when it was at 80, like, like our buddy did. Right. But mm-hmm. yeah, like I think, I mean, do you want to talk about iRobot, Jake? Yeah, well, I I mean, I think iRobot was kind of short squeezed, right? Like it's yeah, that kind of they never really there was never really much um, talk about it. But I've been uh, <laughs> I I was in iRobot around seventy dollars a share back only a couple months ago, wasn't it? Couple yeah, a couple months ago, and I was yeah. I was in it because I loved the business and. Um, I thought I could, I, I thought there was going to be a lot of growth down, down the road. And I think it was what last week around, like, was it Tuesday or something? Yeah. Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, something like that. Yeah. So early in the week, last week, um, one morning, me and Mitch, you know, were on a call waiting for um, the markets to open. <laughs> and uh, we seen it open and we seen the iRobot was up like 10% right away. So we're like, oh, like iRobot's off to a great, great start. Right. Next thing you know, I think I think it's opened up around ninety nine or hundred dollars, and then it was like one hundred and ten. The next thing you know, it was like one hundred and thirty, and I was like, 
oh, like this thing's starting to pop off, right? And then next thing you know, it's like 140. And I'm like, whoa. So I went, you know, and put some uh, limit orders on my phone there on my brokerage account and uh, started slowly selling out of it as it, you know, increased. And then I believe after the first day, it like went to 150. So I'd more than doubled. And I um, was half out of my position in iRobot. And then I think the day after I got up all the way up to, I think 196. And then I got fully out. I was like, oh, there's no point of staying in when it says high, but I'm kind of, um, I'm kind of not disappointed, but you know, um, I'm disappointed that I can't, you know, continue to be an owner in that company because I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing, the thing is though, as you gotta remember is no matter some, sometimes even the best businesses need to be sold when they're at certain prices. Yeah. I mean, I robot, I robot could go on to, you know, become like 10 times what it's worth today. But I felt in that moment in time that it was overvalued into the like point what where into the point where I wouldn't be really making a return, even mm-hmm. if it went up from there, like um, fundamentally in the business. Um, so I'm hoping that it goes back down to 70 and I get to get back in. Right. But right now it seems to be stuck around that, you know, 115, 120 um, price, but and- yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty exhilarating that way eh? when your stock goes up crazy like that. It's, mm. I know, I know it's nothing like GameStop, but still doubling that quick, like in a day, it was, it was pretty phenomenal to see something like that happen. Yeah. Like what, what did you feel that the intrinsic value was on iRobot, Jake? I had, I had it, um, the intrinsic value around 140. Okay. Yeah. 150. And, um, I bought it for half, right? Because I, I tend, me and you tend to like to buy things with emergency safety. Yep. So I felt that um, it was about 150, the appropriately priced. So then you cut and, your shares around 150, I believe. And yeah. I sold out fully at 200 or like 190, yeah, whatever well, it was. 190, like whatever it was. Yes. Because like I felt that, you know, the shares, like going forward, like, I mean, they could have unbelievable growth going forward. And I missed out, but I thought to myself, I'm like, I'd rather take that chance of missing out and, you know, secure the, the return now, the 100, 150% return now than have to suffer through maybe not ever going back up, you know, like you might as well take it now, especially if it's over the price that you'd be willing to pay for it. So. Hmm. And I think the important thing is, is not to act irrational, right? So, yeah. I mean, I think, I believe it helped that I wasn't a part of iRobot. So I was able to say, you know, at this price, I would sell, uh, just giving yeah. you pointers and stuff like that, I think. Um, but when we can talk about also that got short squeezed quite a bit over this week was Syracuse Growth Properties that we're both part of. So that's SRG. And so let's see what SRG started the week off at last week. Um Yeah, so SRG started the week off last Tuesday. Uh, I'll tell you exactly. So SRG started the week off um, the 25th at 1621. Okay. And so throughout that week, SRG went up to 
about 2250, 2280 at its peak, give or take. And so I think the most difficult part was not to sell out for some people, I think. Uh, me and Jake both We had said, more than doubled it, right? Yeah, we doubled our position. I think we bought it. I started buying it up around $9 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, mid-2020, around July, August. And so me and Jake definitely uh, have allocated quite a bit of capital to these guys. And, you know, when you see your money go up by quite a bit, you're like, oh, let's get out. But me and Jake said, no, the intrinsic value was at 40 for us, give or take, yeah. um, within the next couple of years, um, 40, 45, 50. And so when it goes up to 2280 or whatever it was, it was, you know, 60% in a week. Yeah. Um, you just, it's hard. It, I guess it's hard to a certain degree, but at the same time, it's, not too difficult, just based on the fact that it didn't hit our intrinsic value. Uh, it wasn't overpriced from the intrinsic value. Like it's one thing just to hit the 40, um, but then it's like, okay, it's fairly priced now. So I don't think I would have sold out. I might've cut I th- around 35, 40. I think uh, around, oh, sorry, cut you off you go. There. I think around 30, I would have cut my, my stake in half. Okay, just because of based on the fact that you're pretty, pretty certain that it'll come back down. Just that it's yeah, just that, that, squeeze way too much. Well, well, that and um, I just think that when you can, you know, take a pretty big gain like that, and you know, when you already have a lot of money in it to begin with, and you can take, yeah. you know, half off the table and still have half on there, why not? Yeah, well, it's one of those things that's like you don't want to take the profit way too early. Um, mm. Because I mean, I mean, you go. I mean, me and you think that in ten years from now, Saratoga is over a hundred dollars a share. Yeah, right. As long as it keeps up to what our, our expectations are on it, but yeah, definitely over a hundred dollars a share. Yeah. But I guess at thirty dollars or thirty-five dollars a share um, last week, if it went up to that, I guess it would have been way overpriced for what it is today. Um, even though we feel that thirty-five dollars is the intrinsic value give or take two years, three years, maybe uh, today's mm-hmm. price, $35. I think it's just, uh, especially during COVID, I think it's just too high. And I think I would have cut down a little bit. I'm not sure if I would have cut down half, um, but I'm happy that I didn't have to, you know, figure that one out <laughs> in, a, in a fast and timely manner. Um, like you had to do with iRobot, but. Yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm glad I got to, uh, realize the profits there but at the same time kind of you know uh, i'm disappointed that i don't get to continue to ride with irobot yeah that's, that's a tough one too right like i mean taking the profit i find is is almost harder than taking the actual loss uh yeah because taking the loss when you take a loss uh for us it just means that the business turned out to be not what we wanted to turn out to be right so there's definitely would have been some type of switch in management uh the product line might have switched or like the overall uh, morals of the company switched i guess so that's why we would, have, we would have sold at a loss um but when you're selling at a profit it means that the company kind of did what you wanted it to do and so i guess you were correct but then when you're when you're selling it means that it's uh, 
you got to say goodbye to it. So I don't know. I guess the, the last thing we can kind of talk about is just um, being comfortable with the businesses that you're owning, right? So let's say right now, I believe me and Jake both feel that the market is in a bubble territory, uh, which means that it's overinflated. Yeah, exactly. Right. Or even most parts of it. Wouldn't you say, Jake? I would say pretty well all of the United States market is in a bubble besides maybe real estate. Yeah. But like and, the majority almost there. And then like, I guess um, financials is kind of like, eh, like it's not undervalued, but it's not like overvalued. Just about fairly priced, give or take. Fairly priced, but a little bit more on like the, the price here of a fairly priced though, I find. But I think that the U S is definitely, um, it's starting to get there. It's starting to get into that uh, bubbly point because it's, uh, I think the, what is it? The Schiller PE ratio, I think for the SP 500, it's like over 30. Whenever that happens, it pretty well indicates almost uh, a, a yeah, exactly. potential downturn. I think, I think that's what happens, right? Usually. Um, I'm just looking right now what the Schiller PE is. Yeah, right the Shiller now, PE, Shiller, I believe, is 34.82 right now. Okay, yeah. 34. So, yeah, it's... Um, <laughs> it's getting very pricey. I don't think it's... It's only been this... It's getting to the point almost where it was in um, 2000 in the tech bubble. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, you know, it's around Black Tuesday, which... If anybody knows what Black Tuesday is, it was during the uh, Great Depression. <laughs> um, we won't talk about that, though. Yeah. On some nice, <laughs> nicer things. But let's say, you know, me and Jake own, give or take, 10 companies between the two of us. Would there be Jake? 10 holdings? Something it's like that. A lot of our holdings are the same, but I'd say probably about 12, maybe. Something like that, like different different holdings. Yeah. Um, and I don't think... You know, me and Jake are hoping for a downturn in the market, just based on the fact that we, everything's way too inflated, um, and we want we weren't really able to get into a lot of the companies um, and put a lot of our capital to work with them. It was just little bits yeah. of capital. So I think right now, like my highest holding, I believe, is like only like twenty percent allocation of my portfolio. Um, when I wanted it to be around almost forty percent, right? So, well, we're we're sitting in a lot of cash right now. Mm-hmm. Mitch and I are um, majority, I think, at least I am. I'm like over 50% in cash. Are you? Uh, yeah, I'm like, uh, no, I believe I'm only 33% in cash right now. Oh, see, I have a lot of cash on here. Yeah, you have now. more cash than I do. Because I'm, I'm expecting, uh, I'm expecting a downturn eventually here and i uh i want to have as much cash as possible to um drive into those depressed stocks so it's not even like a fear of the downturn that you're holding a lot of cash i don't believe it's literally the fact that there's no real good deals on right now is that true there's no there's nowhere to put my money that's going to grow over over a long term exactly right if there was a good company at a you know great price um i don't think you'd have any troubles putting any money into it 
my my recent my my most recent um pick was uh facebook after the um the trump situation where they banned them off like facebook remember mm-hmm. when twitter and facebook banned trump yeah well that's when i got into um facebook because it kind of got a little bit um there was not a correction in the price but um it dropped a bit and i'd seen that um i'd wanted to get into them for a while but i'd seen that Burry was in them as well as Lee Lu. And um, those are just a couple of super investors that me and Mitch or Mitch and I um, watch out for. But yeah, I'd seen them in it. So I said, oh, this is interesting. So I read a couple 10Ks of Facebooks and um, I decided to snatch a couple shares of, of Facebook, but nothing serious. Like I didn't put a whole lot into it. Um, it was kind of on that. Um, a tipping point where I could see a lot of um, future growth with Facebook and it's at a pretty reasonable price right now, but not at a price where it's a, a huge deal and I'm going to drive as much capital as I could into it type of thing. Well, exactly. Right. The best way to look at it is just kind of like you're just right now, you're kind of dating Facebook. You're not married to it yet uh, compared to some like Seritage, exactly. you know, Seritage, we're pretty invested in Seritage, but like, I mean, I'm, I'm in Facebook too, uh, as of like a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I, I bought just a little bit and, uh, it's just one of the things that's just like to dip your toes into, um, just to get more interest, spike your interest and, uh, just read up more about them. I think there's one stock that, um, could potentially be, um, undervalued right now. That's Berkshire Hathaway. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not super undervalued. Like, don't get me wrong. It's nothing, nothing crazy. But they have um, been underappreciated, I find. Um, I think that's has a lot to do with how much cash Buffett has on the side right now. I think it's mm-hmm. something like 140 billion, something like that. And like, I mean, their stock's only a, a 500 billion market cap, right? So they have a lot of cash on hand. But when you start looking at everything they have. I think they have um, an equity portfolio of what was it, two hundred seventy-two billion? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and and then you add the hundred forty billion in cash. Right there, you, you know, you get up to what was that like four hundred and some billion? Yeah, right there. You know, and then and then they have all the operating businesses like um, Burlington, Northern Santa Fe, Railroad or whatever there, and then they have um, Geico, other Derek, businesses. Mean. Like Geico, Dairy Queen, like, like many other businesses. These can be. Yeah. Yeah. There's a ton of businesses they have. Once you start to break it down piece by piece and you see like how much cash it throws off. And the fact that if we do get a um, correction or even, you know, a recession, and he gets to put that money to work. You're going to see a lot. Uh, you're going to see quite the growth. And I think Berkshire Hathaway down the road. Yeah. And I also think that there's another kind of um, fear towards people putting their money into the stock as Buffett is getting older mm-hmm. and people are scared, like what's going to happen once, you know, Buffett does pass away. Right. Like eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe that the people that will be coming after Buffett 
I believe that they will be Ted and Todd will be great capital allocators. Like there's a lot of good people within that organization that will be able to take that company and, you know, continue to grow it. Um, They've been underneath Buffett's wing for a number of years now. And I think that there shouldn't be much of a problem. I mean, the the great debate right now is whether once Buffett does, you know, um, pass away, if Berkshire Hathaway takes a dive or if it goes up in value, P- people are kind of confused on what they think is going to happen because the stock um, price you mean, eh? Yeah. The stock price, not mm-hmm. the actual business, but the stock price, because a lot of people say that Buffett's um, has a hard time um, learning about new ways of business, like the, like the tech ways of business. And he's more into the old fashioned businesses. Whereas um, Ted and Todd and those guys understand um technology and other types of companies a little bit better than Buffett. But at the same time, you got to realize that, you know, Buffett's been doing this for many, many years. And um, obviously he sees something that we don't because, or he obviously sees something that majority of um, the market doesn't because he has so much in cash, right? As the rest of us, well, not me and Mitch, not, not Mitch and I, but um the rest of the market keeps driving money into um, their favorite stocks. Buffett, you know, is um, taking his foot off the gas and um, stacked up some cash. And I think every, every market cycle, you see Buffett's cash position grow. Mm-hmm. And like uh, every time it gets toward right before a recession happens, you can tell that he's been preparing for it. So like, um, Every let's say like there's a, a crash, for example, every eight years on average, let's say. Well, he goes and uses all of his cash, the first recession, and then for the next eight years, he builds up his cash position and then he uses it again. But every time the cash, you know, position becomes larger and larger and larger as um, his company grows. And I mean, if history repeats itself, he's gonna have a lot of cash to, um, into the markets when they are at very depressed prices yeah um i mean me and jake are both buffetologists but we're also big uh advocates of these new guys ted and todd um i think they'll do a great job allocating capital um and so right now i've personally just dipped my toes into berkshire at the price it's at uh, a little more than Facebook, but I just dipped my toes in lately and uh, hope that the stock takes a little bit of uh, a turn for the worse. But uh, if not, then, then I'm happy with the type of ownership I have right now. Yeah, because um, I've been kind of buying all along the way since the, the crash. Um, I started buying Berkshire in the low 170s, Berkshire B-class stock in the, mm-hmm. in the low 170s. And um, I recently just bought some more actually, but I've, I've quite the decent sized position in them. Um, and I think my average cost right now is in the 190s, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, I see that uh, within the next five years, I see Berkshire be with, I think within the next five years, $400 a share personally. Okay. What do you think, Mitch? What's your prediction on that? Um, I don't really, really have a prediction for the next five years. 
Um, I believe that Berkshire has a better portfolio than the overall S&P 500 of what I'm interested yeah. in. Yeah. 100%. And I believe that uh, it may not overperform the S&P 500 um, in the short term, but I think over the long term, I think you'll be able to beat it uh, just based on the fact of the great businesses that are the S&P or that the Berkshire Hathaway's in um, compared to S&P 500 doesn't cut uh, cutaway businesses that are definitely overpriced or that are acting um, irrational maybe, you know, because Buffett did cut uh, Wells Fargo, which shows that he's a very moral guy uh, compared to S&P 500 where they they would have kept something like that in. This is going to be kind of, um, it's just my own opinion, but right now at the price that Berkshire is at, I think it's around 230 right now. Um, if you were to invest in Berkshire today at 230 or invest in the S&P 500, I think in 10 years time, just because the S&P 500 is, such, is at such a high price, I think that Berkshire outperforms. That's my personal opinion. Um, I mean, and if I didn't think that, then I would just be in the SP 500, right? Like I, I personally, there's no point in investing in individual companies. If you don't think you can outbeat the index you're performing against. Right. And I mean, it's, it's not the fact that Berkshire's business is going to grow faster or that the S and P 500 is not going to grow. It's, it's just the fact that the S&P 500 is at such a high valuation that in order, even if it does like grow, like with like the earnings, like within it grow, like with all 500 companies, yeah. it's already at such a high price to earnings valuation where I don't see, I only see the earnings growing, but not the price appreciation, if that makes any sense. Like, Let's say that within the next 10 years, the earnings double. So the earnings go from, let's say right now, if it's $5 a share in earnings and it goes to $10 a share in 10 years, mm -hmm. I don't see the PE changing from 30 to 60. I, I see it either being 15 or 30. Um, if you were to um, invest in Berkshire where you don't really use the traditional price earnings metric and you kind of just value the business as like a, a sum of the parts, I believe they call it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I, I personally think that, I don't know. I, I just think that the S P 500 will underperform Berkshire in the next 10 years. For sure. Do you have anything to add on that Mitch? No. I'm also, I mean, nothing crazy to add on to it, but, um, it's also when you're buying a stock, you're also owning the company, right? Um, and so I'm interested in owning businesses that I'm proud to own. Uh, and I'm definitely really proud to own, uh, Berkshire Hathaway. Um, so even if I do pay up a little bit, maybe, uh, as of right now, um, I'm definitely ecstatic to be a part owner in it. Right now. I personally think that a fair price for Berkshire 
mm-hmm. is probably in the 280 range. Oh, really? Like in today's markets, you mean? Yeah, based, based 280 dollars. I I personally think it's yeah, it's it's closer to 300. Like that's that's what I've valued at, and I've seen others value it around the same too, around the high mm-hmm. 200s. Yeah, um, I'm around that. I'm around 260 ish, give or take. Yeah, it all depends on what happens with the cash going forward. If but, if Buffett can allocate that wisely, that's this is a um, the the stock performance going forward with Berkshire is um, like the, the what's going to determine the stock price and um, the, the value of the business is going to be whether Buffett can allocate that capital. Mm-hmm. And he's done it for the last however many years. So in my opinion, I think he will. The thing with Berkshire is they report um, the next earnings date is uh, February 22nd. And I'm excited to see what Buffett has done, um, especially as market prices have gone up quite a bit. Um Last quarter, we seen that he had got into companies over in Japan, right? The, the Japan trading companies. Mitch? Yeah, it was last quarter. Japan companies. Last quarter. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see maybe if he allocates some of his capital um, outside of the U.S. Mm-hmm. As these prices continue to go higher. Um, but I do, um, I do expect the cash position to remain intact, if not grown since last quarter. Um, he has said though in the past, and this is, he's been saying this for many years now that as he gets bigger, it's hard to allocate more capital due to the size of the cash that he's working with. Um, when you start to get up into those hundreds of billions of dollars, it becomes harder to, um, find companies that are undervalued because typically you can only invest in a certain amount of companies to actually move the needle. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's why you see Berkshire a lot right now buying back its own shares because there's not many other big companies on the market that are trading at reasonable prices. So, Last couple of years, you've seen Berkshire really buy back its shares. I think we'll go into um, in later podcasts like a deep analysis on Berkshire. Uh, I think it's definitely uh, an interesting stock to look at, uh, especially as me and Jake have been buying up, uh, or Jake and I have been buying up Berkshire stock as of lately. Um, and Berkshire has just been had a crazy uh, run the last 50, 60 years. Um, but I think that'll end it for today's podcast. Uh, we went on a little off topic there from GameStop. Thank you for listening to this episode of Money Under the Mattress. If you have any questions about this episode, you can email us at moneyunderthematress.podcast at gmail.com. Everything discussed in this podcast is our opinion and should not be used as investment advice. This podcast is for your entertainment and education purposes only, and we hope that you enjoyed it.